It took me 15 months after signing up to actually make my first dollar from Murphy Blunch. During that time, I was building the audience. I was thinking about what products I want to sell and just kind of getting a lot of feedback from my audience mostly, just learning everything I could about their pains, fears, and desires that I could just help them with. And then my mom sat me down and was like, listen, you need to make a subscription. So she actually gave me the idea. This is the best decision, really. I didn't realize like how good and healthy my business would feel. And it's just like, finally, I feel very secure because of the recurring revenue. You're listening to Talia Corin, our guest on today's episode of the podcast. Talia is an online entrepreneur who recently launched her first subscription business. It's called Workweek Lunch and teaches people from around the world everything they need to know about meal prepping. What's so unique and interesting about Talia is that she uses Instagram as her primary marketing channel to promote her subscription. In fact, she grew her Instagram following from zero to almost 400,000 followers in just over three years. And when it came time to launch her subscription, she was able to grow to over 2,500 paying customers in a little over a year's time. Pretty impressive, right? Talia joins us on the show today to talk about the journey she undertook to start, build, and grow Workweek Lunch, why she ultimately chose the subscription model for her business, the exact strategy she uses to promote and sell her subscription on Instagram, and much more. Tali and I have a really fun and engaging conversation, and I think you're going to learn a lot in this episode. If you've ever wondered if Instagram is the right marketing channel for you and your business, this episode is for you. As always, I'm your host, Eric Turnison, and this is episode 134 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, Talia, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, thank you so much for having me on. Now, just to kick things off here, I recently checked out your about page and under your interests, the things that stood out to me are peanut M&Ms, bullet points, and puzzles. So let's start with peanut M&Ms. What is that about? I love peanut M&Ms. They're far superior to all the other kinds of M&Ms. If you ask me and I eat them all the time, I really know what I'm talking about. And I guess my love for M&Ms came from my dad giving them to us on the ski lift to warm us up. So, so he gave you the regular M&Ms or the peanut ones? Both, but I okay. just became very fond of the peanut ones. Yeah. To me, it was just really interesting because usually M&Ms is such a strong thing on its own. It's like M&Ms is known for mm-hmm. their chocolate with the candy cover. But you're like, yes, I like M&Ms, but I like a peanut shoved in the middle. Absolutely. Okay. Gotta get that protein. <laughs> and then uh, bullet points, which, you know, by the way, your blog is awesome. I've read a number of the articles on there. Not surprising that you're a really great writer. We'll get into that. But um, you profess an obsession with bullet points. Yes. When did this start for you? Probably in school when I was too lazy to write full essays and just wanted to bullet point everything. <laughs> like just way easier and faster to get the information across. Yeah. I actually think that that's one of the aspects of your articles that make them so nice to read is because you have a natural bullet pointed layout to your articles where you break things down based on categories and, and headlines. And it just gives a way to navigate your articles that makes them enjoyable. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to read them. Of course. And then the third one, which stands out to me because I also enjoy puzzles. Is there a particular type of puzzle that you like doing? The hardest ones possible, but like for fun, I'm not, you know, like sure. crazy, like competitive, like trying to, they're just really fun to do with my family and my mom's really good at them. So yeah. just fun. See, for me, I like doing puzzles that aren't too hard. 
mm-hmm. like if there's too many blocks of color, like of the same color or not enough diversity in terms of what's going on in the picture, then it's too stressful for me. Like I like something where I can continuously make progress. Right. You know, for example, my sister's doing a puzzle now and she's doing one that's like a 2000 piece puzzle and it's like a picture of marbles. Oh God. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? (laughs) I usually would just do when I'm like on the phone and I'm kind of, I'm a pacer on the phone. So like I'll like walk around and like look at the puzzle and just like, right. You know, I'm always doing stuff. I have like a lot of energy. So it was like a good way for me to just do something while while multitasking. (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing the answers with us about that. Let's get into uh, why we're here today. So you run a website called Workweek Lunch, but that's not kind of something you set off to do in your career. You You were a journalist originally, right? Can you tell us about the transition from being a journalist to where you started your own business? Sure. So I was, you know, working at Elite Daily as a staff writer, and I knew that I just wanted to set up another stream of income for myself. So I was side hustling and I was doing all kinds of different side gigs, just make extra money. And I came across uh, Ramit Sethi and his whole course catalog. And one of his courses is Zero to Launch, which teaches you how to build an online business. So I signed up for that, not knowing how that works at all. And uh, Workweek Lunch came out of that course. Like I didn't have the idea or desire to do a food blog before going through that course and seeing how I could build an online business and create this other form of income. At first, it was totally supposed to be like this side passive thing. Right. But I found while doing it that I loved it. And I also loved being my own boss, being in charge, controlling everything about my time. And, it, you know... I really wanted to make it full-time. With that course that you took, what were the important aspects about that course in terms of getting things in motion for you? Sure. So it helps you map out ideas. So that was a big one. You know, finding a business idea is probably one of the most helpful things in that course. You know, they teach you how to kind of mine your own skills and interests. And one of my skills was meal prep that my, you know, my peers had no idea how I was bringing these beautiful cooked lunches to work every day and saving money. Mm-hmm. And they were all broke and they were like, how are you doing this? So that was the first thing I picked up on. And then after I came up with my idea, it helped me have a really strong and solid framework for developing content that people would just get hooked on, which obviously worked because my Instagram blew up. So I took everything in the course and kind of applied it to Instagram, even though the course said not to go on social media. <laughs> Interesting. Where did it stop for you, the course aspect? And where did you need to go off-road and kind of, okay, well, I got what I needed. The ball got rolling. But now here are the things that I know need to be done, but I kind of just need to buckle down and do it on my own. For sure. I went through all the material and it took me 15 months after signing up to actually make my first dollar from Workweek Lunch. So during that time, I was building the audience. I was thinking about what products I want to sell and just kind of getting a lot of feedback from my audience, mostly just learning everything I could about their pains, fears, and desires that I could just help them with. So after that, I launched a few different products and my goal was just to make investment back. You know, I wanted to make the money back I spent on the course initially, and I did within the first launch, which is great. But I realized after a couple launches that like, you know what, this style of kind of doing these like quarterly launches doesn't work for me. It was paying the rent, but it just wasn't like that jumping off point where I could make it full time. So I knew I had to do something different. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that that's 
Interesting. You know, that basically that first year was somewhat an R&D situation for you where you were getting to know your audience, getting to know what they wanted, listening to that and refining the offering, which I think is natural for a business. But so many people ditch at that point in time because they think, oh, I, I put this, something out there. Somebody should have given me money by now. Yeah. <laughs> was that a natural aspect of your personality that just helped you to go through that or, or was somebody helping you work through that period of time? I naturally want to help people and I don't mind doing it for free. I love talking about meal prep. and I love helping people figure out how easy it is to cook because it really clicks for them you know, through my content. And that just really drives me. It's just so fun to see them like have this evolution as a home cook and really start meal prepping and seeing those results. But, you know, I knew, I knew going into it that I wanted to make money and I don't think I still give a lot of free content. So I'm able to do both. It's not like an either or. Right. And is your free content Now you mentioned uh, Instagram and Instagram is a big part of your ecosystem right now, big part of your Mm -hmm. strategy for promoting Workweek Lunch. Was Instagram something that was always big for you or did one of these courses turn you on to it? Yeah. In the course, like I said, they were like, don't go on social media. It's a distraction. They wanted students to do the guest blogging route. And I kind of was like, I think this is a little outdated. You know, I don't think that bloggers in my niche are like savvy to this whole like guest blogging thing. And I tried, you know, I dabbled in that strategy, just didn't feel right. So, you know, Instagram, I just, I love it. And also I have have a degree in film and photography. So it was always a really good fit for me as a platform. And I started it the second I started the blog too. So they kind of started together. And there was a point where I liked the Instagram more than I liked the blog. So I was like, ah, maybe I'll just have this Instagram and the blog will just kind of die. You know, that was definitely a moment I hit before I started selling products. And then eventually I just committed because I was like, I'm spending so much time on Instagram. I'm spending so much time like just talking with my audience and creating content for them. It's time to get serious about it. But yeah, Instagram has just been really fun. Well, in a sense, I actually think you were listening to what the course was saying because you you mentioned that they said you want to take stock of your strengths, right? Mm-hmm. And interests. Uh, the fact that you had experience with photography, which is something really valuable on that platform that's makes you stand out. The fact that you're good at writing. So all these things combined together make sense why you ended up going with the things that you did. Totally. And another thing is also just going where your audience is. And I knew that people who are like, there's already a meal prep community on Instagram. So when you first started Workweek Lunch, you mentioned that there was something that you were doing in the beginning. You were doing launches. So were you doing more course approach, product approach? How are you focusing on it in the beginning to generate revenue? The first products I created were PDFs, like just very simple meal plans, like standalone meal plans for two weeks where, you know, you'd buy it and you get this PDF with pictures and a grocery list and all the recipes and all this other information. And it was, I think it was $20 uh, for the two week plan. And then I, you know, also made a couple recipe ebook collections, kind of like a cookbook, but it's just PDF. And those did okay. Like people bought them. They sold passively. I had, you know, my my email, like my sales sequence through email. I promoted them on Instagram periodically and it was fine, but it just wasn't like popping. When you say it wasn't popping, what were the things you were looking at where, where that was speaking to you? Was it num- um, revenue numbers? Was it interest from the community? 
It was both, but it was just really, you can tell by the way your audience is like talking to you and what they're talking to you about. Like no one was saying, oh, I love your ebook. Oh my God, this is so amazing. Like this helped me so much. Like there was just none of that. And that's what I was looking for. I see. And so at that point, did you start asking questions then? I survey my audience a lot. Like there's quick surveys you can do on Instagram, but then I also do the whole like Google form thing. And like they're like so responsive, luckily. So eventually I got to this one point where I wanted to put together an accountability program where it's like an eight week thing with meal plans and like this accountability aspect. And that they said, you know, they, I kind of pitched this idea to them and they were like, yeah, it sounds great. So, you know, I, this will help me stay on track. But then I did it. It was priced too high and I, it tanked. It totally tanked. <laughs> so I was like, okay, <laughs> like, got it. You guys aren't going to buy premium products. And this isn't really what you want, even though you said you wanted it. So I had to do something. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. pretty bad. <laughs> so you scrapped it? You didn't you didn't reprice it and No, I totally I just scrapped it, yeah. Oh, okay. I could tell that it just wasn't gonna work for them. Yeah. And then where'd you go from there? After that whole thing, I launched another quick ebook, just like I had I kinda had that already ready to go, like right after. And then my mom, who was also an entrepreneur and my business coach, sat me down and was like, listen. You have this six-month period. I was living in Colorado at the time, and I was going to move back to New York. She's like, you have six months left in Colorado. You need to you need to make a subscription. So she actually gave me the idea because her friend was doing a subscription for, like, cheerleaders, like, elementary school cheerleading program, like, a fitness program for them. And she was like, you could just do this. Like, you're already kind of doing it. You already kind of have this meal plan. You're, you're posting your recipes on Sunday, and, and people are making them just throw a paywall on there and make them subscribe. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> and then, so I, two months later, I had it up and running. I think something that's clear just from hearing you talk about the steps that you've gone through is one of the important aspects of your personality that's probably been very helpful as in the, on the entrepreneurial journey is your willingness to try things and also your willingness to let something go if it doesn't work. I mean, I can't, tell you how many times the opposite of those things has stood in my way or made something go like stubbornness like no right. like this is what it should be they should want it like two years later I let go of it and I'm like okay well I could have done that you know <laughs> two years ago and saved myself a lot of heartache and money and then you know the willingness to do something you know so many people sit around and talk about having ideas about something but until you actually are willing to put yourself out there and try something, nothing can potentially happen. Yeah. I kind of don't think about it. You're right. It's very much part of my personality. I've always been pretty okay with taking risks. It's fun. It's like makes things interesting. And a good thing is usually on the other side of it, whether it's a lesson or a success, you know? Yeah. It's essential in the entrepreneurial journey because so much of it, we can't see what's going to happen. To literally, you're taking risks. So if you're not comfortable putting yourself out there and not knowing precisely what the outcome is going to be, then it's going to be tough. Oh, yeah. And I think that that might be why you enjoy snowboarding so much, you know, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a manifestation of that path, right? You know, you're just like hurtling yourself down a mountain and you have some stability. You, you kind of know your instrument, but really, you know. There's a lot of things that can throw you off. I think about the correlation between snowboarding and business a lot. Like if I'm scared of going down a a trail, I'll do it because I'm just because I'm scared of it. And I also have a mindset of like, 
I've been snowboarding for 20 years. I can handle any terrain. It might not be pretty and I might fall, but like I can handle it. Right. Do you uh, hit any jumps? No, not anymore. I've gotten a few concussions, so <laughs> no more jumps for me. Yeah, I, I broke my top rib Ooh. going off of a jump when I was in high school. It's not fun. Getting back to that conversation with your mom and her recommendation to a subscription business, in terms of your mindset, what needed to shift for you? So you were used to doing this product-focused way, doing the eBooks, getting them out as they came. So what did you need to reposition in your mind when you said, okay, I'm going to do a subscription thing now? Sure. There are two things. One was making all my recipes private. That was the one really scary part for me that I was worried I'd get some backlash because who does that? Like there are so many recipes available for free and then people generally buy them in cookbooks, like physical cookbooks. So I'm now making everyone pay for my recipes, which is just unheard of. And that was the biggest thing for me. And I was scared of that up until the day I launched. And the first week that I opened it, I was like terrified to get some comments online. I only had one comment, one negative person on like an Instagram post said something like, kind of nasty, but that's it. <laughs> like, everyone else is like, oh yeah, this makes sense. And I still have some free recipes. I didn't make them all behind a paywall, but so there's still some free stuff available, but I think they're happy as long as I show up, you know, and still give them free content all the time and ideas. So like it worked out. And then the other thing was knowing that I would have to talk about this subscription every single day on my platform. And that was kind of like, I was a little weary about that because Every day, it's like talking the same thing over and over again. Like, how is this not going to get boring? <laughs> so those are the two shifts. And did it get boring or did no. it work out? I talk about it every day and no one has ever complained. And if, you know, if they want to mute me on stories, if they want to unfollow me, fine. But no one's ever said it. Like, you talk about your program too much. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Diving more deep into this Instagram aspect, if somebody wants to use Instagram for marketing their business, like, what are kind of the fundamental basics that they need to think about in order to use it? I think the most important thing on Instagram is consistency. You have to show up every day. It's a daily grind and you have to know that going in, even when you don't see anything happening. Like you might not get some followers someday. You might not get any comments some days. Things might be quiet. You don't really know what's going on. Like we don't know what's going on with the algorithm. People love to blame it. I think just like going in with that attitude and being consistent is super important. And, you know, using your content to either inspire or educate. Those are the two kinds of content on Instagram. So I'm obviously educational. I'm I'm very how-to focused. Whereas, like, I would say, like, anything in the meme category is more inspirational. It's funny. It's shareable. Or anything that's, like, lifestyle aspirations or travel. Those are, like, inspirational. I mean, travel can be educational, too. You could do both, but you want to choose which one you're going to do more of. Because you can't just post testimonials and you can't just post how great your life is. <laughs> you, know, you have to give them something they can take home and use or think about. And do these trends on Instagram change or is this something that you think has been around for a while and will continue to be around in terms of these categories that you're mentioning? I think they're going to be around for the whole, no matter what happens on the platform, you have to add value and you have to show up every day, no matter what Instagram does next with their platform. Right. That makes sense. So in some of your blog posts, you talk about the journey to, and you use number of Instagram followers as benchmarks right? Mm -hmm. for getting to 100K, then getting to 150, then getting to 300. 
outside of you know the, the things that you just mentioned in terms of being consistent and all these other things, are there other things that you specifically did that you feel helped you get to reach that amount of people following you? Yeah, I think the other thing that I did that's really important that people overlook is analytics. Instagram provides amazing free analytics for business accounts, but you're also free. And it tells you what is doing well in your account, meaning what's engaging, what are people liking, how are they, are people following you from these posts? It tells you so much information. And on, on the other side, you can see what is not working. So once I really used that as my compass to determine what to keep posting, what to stop posting, it just grew really fast because my account looked a lot more specific. It was a little more niche. It just, people immediately got what I was about when they looked at my profile. So I would say analytics, learn to use them, learn to read them, look at them every week. It'll tell you everything you need to know about your account. As long as you don't buy followers. If you buy followers, then your analytics will be useless. (laughs) And is that something you discourage or recommend that people do? If you buy followers, they won't buy from you. If you want to buy followers just to have a big number on your account, that's fine. But just know they're not going to engage and they're not ever going to buy your product. And people can tell, people can sniff it out. You know, like the average user knows when this account bought followers because no one's commenting, no one's really liking, but they have a million followers. So, (laughs) right. And, uh, you know, the analytics and the algorithm uses some of those engagement stats to power how things work, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not going to help you out in terms of those areas. No. Can you explain the impact of the bio link versus the swipe up link? Yeah. So you get the, everyone has the bio link, no matter what size your account is. And you don't even need a business account to have one. But for the swipe up, you need to have 10,000 followers. You don't need to have a business account, but you know you should if you're selling. So the swipe up feature is actually, I think, better for uh, free content, blogs, articles, things you want to share, codes, you know, stuff like that. But when it comes to selling, for me, the bio link has been my main source where they really convert. And I think it's because... When people are watching stories, they don't, they want to just keep watching. They don't want to stop and sign up for something and then like come back to Instagram. It's like they'll see it, they'll read the sales page, and they'll come back later to the bio link. I see. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's my story. <laughs> In your bio link, are you using just like a, a link that goes straight to something, or are you going to like a link tree or something like that? Yeah, my link is always the program. It's been that for over a year now. Like it's the sales page. That was you know something I learned through promoting the, you know, the program and everything, I've learned that that just has to stay there. And my bio needs a call to action to that link. Uh, It's very clear and shows that I'm selling something like this is a product. This is a service you can buy. So the bio link has definitely been really important. I probably could not use this type of feature at all and still make the same amount of sales. And is there anything specifically that you do to encourage your followers to talk or share about your subscription on Instagram? Yeah. To talk about it, I mean, I think there's just like this cyclical incentive where I tell them to show me their their meal prep photos and they know I'm going to share it on my stories and they love that. So even though they're not all trying to become Instagram influencers, it's like a big deal when I repost them because I have so many followers, which is mind blowing to me, but like it is a big deal for them. Uh, So that's like, I think the number one way I encourage them. And then I also, you know, well, if they share a post on their feed of like their meal prep photos, I will go and comment. Like I'll actually go and engage with them there. And that keeps them in the flow of posting because they want that engagement from me. 
Do you have an idea of the traffic that you're getting specifically coming from Instagram and those efforts versus other avenues, maybe Google searches, et cetera? Yes, I would say over 50% comes from Instagram. I do have a very strong like SEO on my site and Google loves my website. So like I definitely have a lot from Google, but Instagram is like the top place where I get all my traffic. You mentioned that you have a lot of experience in photography and film. And the aspect of your business is that you're making food and therefore there's a tangible aspect that lends itself easily to being photographed. If somebody is in a different business and maybe they're not dealing with something specifically like that, is Instagram still something you would recommend or are there ways that you can determine what when somebody should decide whether or not to use Instagram based on their business? That's a good question. I think that the factor that's more important is who are you targeting, not is your business uh, photogenic. You know, it's right. it's more like, are your people on Instagram? I would say most topics can work. And it's great because right now Instagram loves text on photos. Like you can do the whole thing with just like square photos with text on it. You don't have to actually do images and you could still win because for whatever reason, people love reading that way too. It's so interesting to me. I don't do that on my feed, but like, you know, memes and like all these text posts are really valuable as well. You can just communicate a lot in words on a square photo. So yeah, don't be discouraged if your business isn't like as visual as food or travel or fashion, which are very good on Instagram. Like if you have business in those verticals, like you should definitely be there no matter who you're targeting. And Do you have alternative revenue streams set up on your site? For example, doing affiliate marketing based on maybe products that you recommend to people that they use in order to do the meal prep stuff? Yeah, I use Amazon affiliates and it's like, it's okay. It's nothing I really focus on. I probably could focus on it more. And my new website, which is coming out in a few weeks, will have a product page with all these links. Like I don't have that now and it's, you know, that'll help a lot. And also I work with brands. So brands can hire me to do like a sponsored Instagram post or story or blog. So those are two of my main additional streams, as well as like one-off in-person events that I've done throughout the year. Oh, cool. Like meal prep workshops, cooking classes, or live events. Is that something that you get invited to or or is that something you plan to create for yourself? I plan that. I plan my own like community event in May. Mm-hmm. I'm a guest cooking instructor at a cooking school based in New York. And I'm getting, you know, I'm getting paid for that, not by the, you know, just the school is paying me to teach. And um, I'll go to the occasional event if a brand wants me to be there to post on Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. You know, uh, did you study cooking? I mean, where where did this come in for you? (laughs) And you're teaching uh, at cooking schools? It's called Home Cooking New York, which is perfect for me. Okay. So. It's not like ice, like international culinary, you know? Right. <laughs> and no, I, I'm self-taught. It's just a lot of practice, a lot of trial and error, taking risks in the kitchen. And, and then I've actually taken some cooking classes myself. So I was a student at the school and the teachers noticed who my whole business and noticed me and they you know, wanted me to come teach work meal prep. <laughs> nice. I want to take a step back here, going back to when you launched your subscription business. Launches have usually particular activities that go along with them. So I'm wondering, were there particular strategies that you did specifically at launch time? Yeah. So 
I treated it like you would for launching a course. I built up some anticipation before I hinted at something coming, you know, built up that energy, which is definitely easy to do on Instagram. And then I did like an email series and aligned an Instagram kind of content schedule to go along with the email series. And, you know, I had all this relevant content to just do what any other sales copy should do, where it's like risk reversal, describing the benefits and the features and like addressing their desires. And really, I mean, that's what I, what I learned in that course I took, you know, and I read a lot of copywriting books and I study it casually on my own. So I just applied a ton of copywriting techniques to Instagram which again, makes me stand out so much because my competitors are not doing that at all. And where you're doing that, are you doing that in text in the photos itself? Or are you doing it in the actual comment? In the caption. So it's like the image is like the hook and the story. And then the, the captions, like where you do all that fancy stuff. I see. And there's always a call to action. So that's that one activity I did. I also had a YouTube video that like, and I made an Instagram story highlight. And within that first week, I got... 250 signups and to me that was a real pop like that's okay this is something they want like even though it was on google docs like the meal plans were on google docs right (laughs) (laughs) are they still on google docs or is that no we have a better system and then we're continuing to improve that which is like again part of their attention uh, that i have to work on so this was what uh how many months ago was it that you launched the subscription aspect of your business? It was in June of last year. So just over a year now. Okay, cool. So given this past year, are there any surprises that have come from running the subscription business? The only surprise is just how quickly it's grown and how this is the best decision, really. I didn't realize like how good and healthy my business would feel. And I've been able to get a lot of contractors on my team. And it's just like, finally, I feel very secure because of the recurring revenue. But you were kind of prepped from the earlier efforts that you did by the time you decided to do a subscription Mm -hmm. business, right? So a lot of that work that you did prior to actually turning into a subscription business probably lended itself to that, quote unquote, overnight success or, or quick success, right? You're absolutely right. By the time I launched the subscription, I knew like verbatim my audience's fears, desires, and what they really needed. It was like, it's like ingrained in me now. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to reflect because like, it's also a little bit like doing a, a podcast episode, like having a conversation, right? Like mm-hmm. until there's something that I know about you one way or another, I can't really ask very intriguing questions. I can ask basic questions, mm-hmm. right? But those are exploratory, right? Until there's some rapport built, it's hard to really build a more intimate relationship with somebody, which I think is amazing that you, I don't either naturally or from who you were studying with, knew that listening was such an important part of getting to success. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's the listening really moved the needle in a way I did not know. Like before this whole thing, even I even started working lunch, I didn't realize like that's such a key ingredient, but I really love it. Like, even though I know my audience very well, I still love listening to them. Yeah. You kind of have to otherwise (laughs) not have to, in a sense, like you should think that it's like, 
oh, I have to, there should be a natural enthusiasm. There is. um, Which definitely is the case for you. But I think a lot of people try and push themselves through something and they're missing the natural enthusiasm, but they try to push themselves through Mm -hmm. these cookie cutter steps because they're trying to get to the success point. But really, that's the fuel. That natural enthusiasm is the fuel that's going to get you there, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, to speak to that, it's always more fun when things are going well. I mean, it's kind of saving up that enthusiasm for the challenging times. <laughs> that, I think, right. is really important in pushing through as well. Yeah. Well, it, it's because it's only the enthusiasm that's going to help you through those. Because if you weren't enthusiastic, you would just peace out. You'd be like, all right, this isn't good anymore. See you guys later. Yeah. So in this vein, given the experience you've had so far, would you have particular advice for somebody who's just starting a subscription business? Yeah, I would say be open-minded. I've been able to mold the subscription to what my audience is telling me in the beta that I did before I launched and just now, like I'm still kind of feeling I'm shaping it and molding it. And I think that's helping it grow and like it feels alive, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would say have an open mind. It might not be exactly what you thought it would be, like, you know, when you're in it. <laughs> I wish someone had told me, like, to be ready for all the crazy challenges that come with success. Like, I've had to do things as a founder that I just never saw myself having to, like, deal with. Think about, like, right now I'm talking to developers on, about building this website and I'm, an, I'm a non-tech founder and this is just terrifying. It's like, yeah. I'm so in over my head with this stuff. And luckily, I, luckily I have my brother is a mobile developer and my boyfriend's a web developer. So like they're helping me, yeah. but it's still really hard because they're not working for me. And I think I have to still figure it out on my own and all this other stuff that I've had to like, you know, hiring, I had to hire someone to run my Facebook ads and like getting into that was just a whole, like, I didn't expect that I would be doing Facebook ads. I just hired two SP developers. Like, that's another, like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it reminds me of um, your blog post about your career, right? Like how you had such strong visions about where your career was going to go. You had these plans. And of course, the predictable ending to that is uh, those plans don't really go where you think they're going to go. It's the same with this situation. I mean, I'm the similar place where I'm a software engineer by trade. So member mouse yeah. was started as a product, but I don't develop anymore. You right. know, I haven't done that for many years and it's not because I don't enjoy development. It's just because like you said, with the success of the business, I look at it like having a child in some ways, even though I don't have children, I can imagine <laughs> <laughs> it's like when they're young, you can, it's kind of more about you you know, in terms of they can't do anything. They don't have a personality. They all need the same thing when they're very young. So you give them what you can give them. But as they get older and vocal, they start asking for what they need. And we can't predict that even Mm -hmm. with our businesses. So like for you, it's asking you to go and talk to developers now. You know, for me, it was like, hey, you can't develop anymore. You need to start answering thousands of support (laughs) emails. You know, the faster the growth is, the more quickly those roles change for us as founders. That's a great analogy. I don't have kids either, but I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So again, we were talking about the willingness to do new things, you know, being open to it. The business will constantly test you because 
like literally it becomes about letting go of full identities, mm-hmm. which can be true. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes I, well, lately I've been thinking about my business as like another, it's like another being. Yeah. And that really happened to me a few weeks ago when I was featured in the New York Times because it blew up. And it's like, okay, this is like another being. Like, it's not really my thing anymore. Right. Yeah. It's like it's taking its own life. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you've created something and now you're kind of along for the ride. Yeah. I'm so happy my mom sat me down and gave me a real talk. <laughs> yeah, well that's that's super useful. What what kind of um entrepreneur was she is she? She has her own company that does email marketing campaigns for healthcare companies. Oh cool. So she's been doing that for like twenty years. And I only recently understood what she did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does email marketing. And, you know, she has said many times she just wants to come work for me. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. I don't know. How, how do you feel like that would go? Would that be a nice thing? Yeah, we're very close. I think it'd be great. That's like, cool. I would love for her to help because she's had a lot of success and she does know what she's doing. Yep. I can listen. Like, I'm, I'm like open to people who like have walked this path before me, I'm like wide open to listening to their advice. Of course, you have to like be careful about who you listen to and who you take advice from. Yes. But like, I will still consider a lot of it and act on it. Yeah. There was a time when I was really open to listening to advice too open. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like at a point in time where the business was growing faster than I could keep up with it. And so I was like super overwhelmed. So I was like, I was in desperation listening to advice, you know? So like, yeah. help me with a situation. Oh, you do this thing? Well, go do it. I'm just going to go on vacation. So you, I'll trust you to do, you know? Yeah. It, like, and it doesn't work out. No. <laughs> and uh, so coming back to a point, like, you know, one of the stages I went through is where the business becomes about, okay, it's not about us doing particular tasks. It's about us building the team because, Mm-hmm. If things are going to be scalable and the business is going to grow to a certain point, we can't be doing all these things. I mean, we have to continue to do certain things, like high mm-hmm. leverage things where you still have that in touchness with, well, not everybody, but I think you're similar to me in the sense your personality does need to be involved in the business still forever mm-hmm. for as long as it's you're involved in it mm-hmm. because that's what people are connecting with. You know, whether it's how you take your pictures or how you word something. So you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we do need to find ways to replace ourselves. I know. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a fun challenge, but I am with you there. And I still haven't let go of Instagram. I'm starting to. Like I just had my assistant post for me last weekend for the first time while I was (laughs) camping. And it was like kind of nuts, but it was super helpful. Yeah, learning to relinquish control and trust others. And also it becomes a mentorship too, you know, because you do Mm -hmm. have valuable experience, you know, you'll guide people and help others learn those skills by allowing them to do it. One thing is, you know, about having a platform separate from the site that actually sells your content is you have to get them from one platform to another. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to give you any money if they constantly just engage with you on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So we talked about how you post every day about your program on stories. You always have something in your your bio link going to your program. 
Are there other strategies you use to kind of bridge that gap and help people transition from Instagram to your program? Yeah. So there are two things I do. One is I post a lot of customer testimonials on stories and that helps people be like, oh, there's people doing this. There's actually people who are very active. And so that's like one way that kind of like mentally bridges that gap for them. And then the other thing I've done, which has been helpful is taking them behind the scenes on stories, like showing how the meal plans work once you sign up and like what you get actually. So that kind of, is like pulling back the veil. And I think that kind of helps them really understand what they're getting when they pay $8 a month and what it looks like, how it works. Because I think that's a, that's a barrier too, is like, what if I can't figure this thing out, you know, on my phone or on my computer? Like, how do I do this? (laughs) My system that I'm using isn't perfect, but it's like good enough. And, you know, once people see it, it clicks for them and they then sign up. They're like, oh, I didn't realize you can customize this. or I didn't realize you can just drag and drop the, you know, recipes. That's what I've done. It's worked. Now you use Instagram a lot to communicate with people. Do you leverage email a lot? Do you leverage it for pre-sales? Do you leverage it for your members? How are you using it? Yeah, so I do. I've been really big on emails this year. I've been able to focus on it more now, now that I have a little more time. It's very similar to Instagram. I do a lot of free content, but then I also sell pretty much in every single email that goes to my non-member list. And then my, for my member list, I'm emailing them everything that's related to the program and only that they don't get like marketing or sales emails. So I've like been able to split it like that, which has been working really well. That's like one thing I'm working on. It's like, how do I talk about the program? Like how do I do like recreate that launch of the program, even though it's constantly open on a rolling basis. So I haven't been able to practice that yet on email, but I, you know, have opportunities like in January, you know, that's like a really good time for me. It was huge last year. (laughs) Like, you know, so I have to kind of roll with what like our culture is doing, like holidays and different seasons and like where everyone's mindset is. So I kind of like shape my sales strategy around that. What is a launch to you? What are the elements of a launch? There's something new to talk about and there's like a scarcity factor, but I don't have that. That's, I think, why it's such a tricky for me because the subscription just open all the time. There really is no scarcity and I don't do discounts. The product is so cheap and I just don't want people to expect that. So I've never done any discounts. I think I've played with like adding content like, oh, if you sign up this week, you'll also get this free guide for your pantry, like how to build a good pantry. You know, something that's like a added content. It's like a little extra. That has worked pretty well to get people excited, but that's all I figured out so far. (laughs) Does your program have a lot to do with fundamentals of nutrition and anything like that? No, I stay away from that because I'm not, I don't have a background in nutrition. Right. So I don't teach that at all. And it's helped me stand out because I'm the one meal prep program out there that doesn't focus on weight loss or weight management or anything like that. It's like just good food. You're going to save a lot of money. You're going to reduce your food waste and you're going to save a lot of time. And that's it. Like, it's healthy, but I don't, I'm not saying it's healthy and you're going to lose weight because I cannot promise that. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> it's like, and that's against what I'm about anyway. Like, yeah. so no, I don't. And I think some people are like, can you just add macros and calories? And but most people appreciate that's just not there. Yeah. Are there um, any common objections that people mention when they got, not objections, but like challenges that people who are first signing up in terms of navigating 
the situation, your site or your program getting started? I would say I hear that there probably are some I don't hear of. I hear it more when they leave and I ask them why they left. Mm-hmm. And the common ones are, I'm, you know, reducing all my subscriptions. Like they're just quitting a bunch of stuff sure. to save money. And in my head, I'm like, okay, well, meal prep saves money. So like, I hope you're still meal prepping. <laughs> <laughs> just by, I don't say that, but like, that's what I think. Yeah, the other yeah. thing is I have a lot of women in my program. So if they get pregnant, they usually leave because they can't meal prep. It's like all over the place what they want to eat. And then the other one is like, if something happens medically in the customer, like to the customer where they have to change their diet, they will leave. Sure. Yeah. What I was getting at with that question is, if there's something like within the first week that people are struggling with, or maybe, oh, well, like it's, oh, there's something that's overwhelming about or whatever, that could be an opportunity for something that could help you get that launch feel like, oh, like sign up this week and get a free 30 minute consultation or whatever with me to address this thing that I know that a lot of people have challenged with both could help with, um, getting more signups, but also with retention because you're also addressing the challenge at the same time. Of course, there's a, a work component to that. Yeah, I never thought of doing like a, some kind of situation where they'll, that I can help them like kind of get acclimated. I do have tutorials that they get access to immediately when they sign up. Like here's a video walking you through the whole thing. You know, that's super helpful. Right now, I just try and be as accommodating as possible. They can reach out to me. They, I, you know, tell them we have a support team. I give them the Facebook group and like I have a couple people moderating the group and it's very active and people ask a lot of questions. So I kind of like, I'm like here are all these avenues to get help. Yep. And that's been what I've done so far, but I definitely can improve in that area. I think like a, some kind of like orientation video session could be really cool. Yeah, it could be a webinar with a number yeah. of people on it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, these are the the fun, never-ending journey of tweaking the business, you know? It's just it is so uh, fun. <laughs> constantly doing things. So I think we're pretty close to wrapping up here. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about the, all this stuff. So we've we've kind of alluded to it throughout our conversation, but can you give people who are listening just like uh, the place where they can find out more about you? And Yeah, I'm on Instagram at workweeklunch, one word, and my website is workweeklunch.com. So that's where you'll find like all the meal prep stuff. And if you want to follow me on Instagram just to see what I'm doing, like how I'm promoting my program, yeah, that's a good idea, but you are going to see a lot of meal prep stuff. And if you just want Instagram related content, you can go to my personal website, taliacaran.com, where I'll write about Instagram and other business related things occasionally. And also your love for peanut M&Ms. Yes. And puzzles. and (laughs) (laughs) So just before we wrap up, is there anything that, um, that I haven't directly asked you about that you feel would be good to mention to people who are looking to embark on on any journey that you've been on and and some advice you can impart to them. Yeah. I actually want to say like Instagram is a really good testing ground for all kinds of content because it goes away in like 24 hours or like people just scroll past it. (laughs) Like the stakes are so low compared to a blog or YouTube or like other platforms. So it's like, you really can try things and the feedback is instant. It, and that is just so valuable. So I would say like Instagram can really good, be a good place for you to just develop your voice and your messaging and all that stuff in a very low stakes way. Yeah, that's great advice. 
Well, again, Talia, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And this is just such an amazing podcast and I'm glad I found it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. That just about does it for this episode of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode and many thanks to Talia for her openness to share what she's learned with you. I hope you're walking away with some information and inspiration that can help you grow your business. To get the show notes, links to resources mentioned, and a complete transcript of this episode, head over to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 134. And if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher for more interviews with successful entrepreneurs. We've got some great interviews coming your way, so be sure to stay tuned to the podcast. We'll see you next time.